doing a series on forward. And we want 2022 to be better than 2021. Can I get a witness? Right? So we want to try to put things in place in our lives that enable us to succeed and go forward. And today we're going to talk about how to deal with how you feel. <gasps> talk about emotions. And all the women said, yes. And all the men said, ah. <laughs> Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Say it with me. I will transform or I will conform. That's right. We're either going to be conformed, molded by the things around us, or we are going to transform into something that we've never been. This word transform is the Greek word metamorpho, and it means to completely change your state of being, a complete shift in your existence. That sounds really good to me, right? And all the women said, yes, yes. shift in your existence. Yeah, who is that cool dude? I don't know. I like to roll that again. Play that again. Just play it on a loop. That's what I do at my house. I just play and let, let myself just listen to myself. No, I'm totally not. Not at all. <laughs> you will transform or you conform. Trans, uh, transformation is the Greek word metamorpho. It means to change your state, change your thinking, change your habits, change your lifestyle. It means physically, it means emotionally, and it means spiritually. So when we come to Christ, God intends for us to be completely changed. We are already changed, but his desire is that that change become a part of our world. Say it with me. God's intent is to change my state, to upgrade my status, and to change my story. This is how it looks like, people. You come to Christ and you're accepted in the beloved. You come to Christ, you're given a new identity. When we start to embrace the state in which we are in, we step into the status that we were created to have. And as you step into the status as God's son or daughter, your story changes. But until you recognize the state that's been given to you, until you begin to step into the status that's been appointed over you, your story will not change. It will not Everything's going to keep on being the same thing. You have to step into the status. You're sons and daughters. You didn't send in a resume. Jesus gave it to you. You don't look like it, but you are anyway. You don't act like it most of the time, but you are anyway. You cannot disqualify yourself because you didn't qualify you. He gave it to you. And so we had God call, say it with me, Jesus calls me what I am long before I get there, right? This is who he is. Bible says he calls, he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it was. He calls you what you are, even if you're not looking, acting, feeling like it, you are. You're sons and daughters. What activates this stuff is when we understand it. What activates this stuff is when we partner with it and rise to the level of our purpose and rise to the level of our birth. Then all of a sudden things begin to change because your thinking begins to change. Your expectations begin to change. The way you see yourself, the way you see life begins to change. And as a person thinks in his heart, so are you. When you start thinking and believing and knowing as he says, right, this is how he sees you. He doesn't see you any different than that. And so transform life is about changing your state, your status, and your story. And who doesn't want that? 
There's barriers to your transformation. Everybody hold the chair. Say this. The number one barrier <laughs> to my transformation is me. What? Yes, it's you. You are the greatest barrier to your own transformation. And the problem with the, with the barrier, the biggest barrier that you have is your own ego, your pride, your self-perceptions. We build altars to the way that we think. We build altars to the way that we perceive things. Our ego, right? Even if we're wrong, we don't like to admit it. Amen. Exactly. We don't. Our ego. We, we don't like change. We can't stand change. We like everything the same. Do anything but don't change. But the, the goal to get from where you are to where you want to be, there's a bridge you got to cross, and it's called change. And if that, it, well, I'll give it to you the mellow way. If you want it really the dangerous way, there's a raging river you have to cross that's called change. Right? Some of us, it, it's, it's very difficult to change. We don't want to change. By nature, as humans, we like everything safe, secure. It, you know, we want to know. But that's, unfortunately, that's not the way the kingdom works. That's not the way the Lord works. Say it with me. The spoils to the one who dares. That's right. This kingdom is based upon the spoils to the one who dares. It's a culture of risk. has nothing to do with safety. Nothing to do with safety. Our messaging to the believer is wrong. And what we do is we present weak children, weak sons, weak daughters who can't tie their shoes and can't stand up straight because we want them to feel everything is safe for the whole family. You are lambs among wolves. Is that safe? Does that remotely sound safe to you at all? You know, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to pin you in and I'm going to save you up and you're going to be protected and your shepherds are going to make sure everything's protected. He didn't say that, that language doesn't even exist in the kingdom. You are lambs among wolves. Be faithful unto death. Be fearless, right? I am with you, he told Joshua. You're going across a river to face things that you have no concept of how to deal with. What you're going to face is bigger than you, better trained than you, better resourced than you, and is way more prepared than you are. You guys are a bunch of shepherds that have a bunch of sticks and stones in your hand, right? You don't know anything. And I'm going to send you against what is greater than you, right? He didn't say, don't worry, I'm going to keep you safe. He said, nope, you're going to have to confront these things. You're going to have to do that. Or exactly. And he said, your advantage is that I'm with you. And if Jesus is with you, you got all the advantage you need, man. Right? If God be for me. That's right. So the key is to partner with him. The key is to get in alignment with what he wants and the way that he wants to do it. God's got an answer for every situation. He's got an answer for your job. He's got an answer for your marriage. He's got an answer for your health. He's got an answer for your career. He's got an answer for your future. He has, Jesus is the answer, and he has an answer. You don't have all the advantages. Can I get a witness? Right? If you face anything in this world, you're at a disadvantage almost off the rip. Jesus loves it when we're at disadvantages. I can't stand it. Drives me crazy when I don't have a competitive advantage. I don't know if any of y'all are in the room here or not. You know, it drives me nuts. But I have to realize that it, I may not have those resources, but I have Jesus. And I can passionately pursue his heart more than my competitors. And the Lord will illuminate to me a way where there is no way. 
And God will take me on a route that might seem like a detour to me, but what I'm actually doing is I'm flanking and moving around the opposition. And God will put me in a prime position, whether I, whether I understand it or not. The key is that. The key is communion and understanding that. The greatest barrier to transformed life is our ego. Say it with me. My ego is always my enemy. Always. Your ego is not your friend. Not now, not ever. Just isn't. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. So how do we eat the good of the land? Number one, you got to want to eat the good of the land, right? Are you willing? Does anybody here want to eat the good of the land? I don't even know what the good of the land is. But if Jesus said there's the good of the land, I'm like, and I can eat it? I'm like, really? You know? There's the good of the land. Anybody here want to do that? You have to be willing, number one. Must be willing. You'd be shocked at how many people are not actually willing they're not willing. They want it all done for them, right? Because this is our culture. This is how the devil has infiltrated our nation and infiltrated the church to where we're all just taking naps and we want it done for us. Jesus isn't doing it for you. He's doing it with you. And until you get that, nothing's going to change. He died for me. Yeah, but didn't you have to do something in order to activate that? Wasn't there something you had to give him? Didn't you have to give him your heart? Didn't you have to give him your life? Didn't you have to surrender to him? Right? There's something you have to do. This isn't just a blanket statement. We have to participate and partner with what he's doing. The good news is he does all the heavy lifting. He, may, he just does it. I mean, he just, he just he makes it happen. But he doesn't make it happen until I put... The, when the priests cross that river into the Jordan, right? So Joshua and the children of Israel are going to cross the river. The river's raging. They have to move out of the comfort land that they've been in for 40 years. They've been walking around a mountain. They've watched their fathers and their grandfathers all die because their fathers and their grandfathers were faithless. And they died in the wilderness, never inheriting the promises. And the sons and the grandsons of that generation said, I'm not dropping dead here in the desert. I'm going to die going forward. I'm not going to die going in a circle. It's better to die going forward than it is to die going in a circle, right? They came to that conclusion, and God's like, you're going to cross the Jordan. He tells them to sanctify themselves, set themselves apart. Got, they've not been this way before. Prepare yourself, because you don't know what you're doing, and you've never gone this direction before. You want God to do something for you? You better come to the conclusion that you don't know what you're doing, and you, he's probably going to lead you in a way that you've never been before. So he told them, sanctify yourself. Change your clothes. It's crazy. Tells them to change your garments. Stop wearing what you used to wear. Stop acting like you used to act. Stop being like who you used to be. Put on the garment of who you really are. Stop being ashamed of being a Christian. Stop being afraid. Ready? Don't be afraid of using the name Jesus. Right? It's true. <laughs> Our culture loves the word God. I'm always like, which God? Which God? J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. <laughs> you must be willing and you got to be obedient. Jesus is like, if you want this and you are willing to listen to what I say, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you don't want it and you don't want to listen to what I say, you will perish. That's pretty much the standard, isn't it? And we perish. We perish without even really knowing we're perishing. 
People are perishing every day and they look alive and healthy. They're perishing. Their dreams, their destiny, their purpose is perishing with them because they're not willing and they will not listen or engage what God has asked them to do. They're successful by any terms. They got 50,000 Instagram followers, but they're perishing. Their purpose is perishing. Their destiny and their purpose is perishing. I was praying this week, man. This isn't a wake-up call. I haven't fully processed it, but I know it's true. The Lord says the clock's running, Kevin. Meter's running. Right? The Bible says, let us get rid of all the unfruitful works of darkness. Let us cast aside every weight that does so easily beset us, and let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. What's God told you to do that you're wasting time on? You Exactly. He said, I don't know what he's told me to do. Well, then stop wasting time and go figure out what he's telling you to do. Right? You're wasting time just not knowing what God's told you. Right? He has a word for each season of your life. And all the people in this room, we're in different seasons. We're in different time frames. I've raised my kids. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm trading in that four-door. I'm getting a two-door, man. <laughs> I'm in a different season of my life. Some of you are not married. You're in that season. Some of you are married and you have young children. You're in that season. God has a word for every season of your life. And he will use that season of your life to bring about his purposes if you listen to him. He's got something for you. And I'm trying to hear what he's telling me in this season of my life. I cannot think like I used to think. Right? You, if you are married, if you're single and you get married, you can't think any longer like a single person. Right? It just isn't going to work. You're going to see some massive conflicts if you start thinking like that. Then when you're married and you have children, you can't think like the happy-go-lucky married couple. You just can't hop in the minivan and go down and have dinner out because you got a small child. Well, who's going to take care of the small child? Right? Life changes. You can't think like that anymore. My wife and I look at each other and go, we can go out to dinner. <laughs> We could go out to dinner three nights in a row. What is this? <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying it, <laughs> personally. Anyway, and my daughter's like, when are you going to take the grandbaby? When are you going to take the grandbaby? I'm like, I don't know. Let me check my schedule here. Let me check my calendar. <laughs> you have to change the way that you think depending on the season of life that you're in. And be effective no matter what season you're in. The day your effectiveness dies is when you quit and when the mirror no longer fogs when you hold it under your nose. When the mirror's not fogging, it's over, right? Or the day that you quit, it's over. So long as you're not quitting and you're moving forward, there's always hope and there's always life. When you give up, it stops. You have to keep moving forward. You've got to be willing and obedient. Kingdom lifestyle is over, developed over a lifetime. It says Christianity, Christianity is a lifestyle developed over a lifetime. It's not something we do. It's what we are. That shift has to take place. We think it's something we do. We show up on Sundays. We pray when we have a need. No, it's, it's what we are, right? I'm a Christian 24-7. I'm a son of the highest 24-7. I may not always act like it, but the truth is that's what I am. That's what I am. It's a lifestyle. It's not what we do. It's who we are. 
The Bible says all we with, with open faces are looking in a mirror and we can see the glory of the Lord and the Holy Spirit is changing us into that glory from glory to glory. God's intent for you, the word glory is wait to wait. This is God's will for our lives is to take your life and to turn it into substance and then to take that substance and turn it into another substance. The Holy Spirit is the greatest alchemist that's ever been. Alchemy, men have been trying to turn rocks into gold forever. The only one who can really do that is the Holy Spirit. He can turn anything into gold. He's got the Midas touch, man. And this is what he does with our lives. His desire is to take your life and turn it into a weighted substance. And then take that weighted substance and turn it into an even greater substance. From glory to glory. The word glory is kavod. It means weight, substance. Right? Anybody want a life of substance and meaning? That's God's intent for you. Happy day. God's not holding you back. He's trying to move you forward. He's not keeping you down. He's trying to elevate. You're the problem. We're the problem. That's, that is the problem. Barrier to transformation. The number one predictor of success is the ability to say it with me. The number one predictor in, of success is the ability to recognize, manage, overcome, and heal negative emotions. Your EQ is, higher, is greater than your IQ. Your emotions, if you don't understand them and you don't learn to A, manage them, you don't learn to overcome them or you don't learn to heal them, they will overcome you. It's not going to take you long to figure that out. Right? You got an anger problem, anger is not going away. Right? We manage ourselves well in certain areas, but we're not managing ourselves well in other areas. Number one predictor is somebody's ability. It's one of the main reasons why people lose their job or can't keep progression is that they don't have the ability to sort of work well with others or play well with others, or they can't manage their emotions, or it's one of the, one of the, one of the two. They have no ability. Let's send that email. Right? <laughs> going to send that text. <laughs> we're supposed to be holistic so we got to learn how to deal with how we feel some can do it in relationships but they can't do it in business some can do it in business but they can't do it in relationships and my watch just fell apart happy day some can we, we have abilities to control ourselves in some areas but we don't have our abilities to control ourselves in others we need to learn to deal with how we feel. We need to be able to confront the things that are detrimental to us and that are affecting us in a negative way. These are the barriers to our transformation. God intends to transform us, but we have to be willing to be transformed, willing and obedient. In Christ, you're a new creation. You're born again. You're brand new. Isn't that awesome? Right? And when you're a new Christian, when you just first get saved, you're like, I'm born again. I'm a new creation. And you're just like, wow. Yeah? Then after a few years, you start going, yeah, I'm born again. I'm a new creation. You lose something along the way because that power or that, uh, that ability that you felt when you first got saved, something in that something you feel like something's changed. What's changed is that you stop working it out. We have a born again person on the inside of us. We have a new creation on the inside of us. And the Bible says we work out our salvation with reverence and honor, fear and trembling. Another translation, here it is, Philippians 2. Beloved, as you have always listened, not only in my presence, but now also in my absence, continue to outwardly work your salvation. 
Our goal and our mission in our life is to take what's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. That's the idea, is to take what is in us and bring it forth into our lives. This new person. And so in order to manifest the new person, you got to be willing to kill the old person. you got to be willing, every time you see that zombie walking around your house, and, ah, you, know the, you know the zombie, right? The old Quinn, the old Kevin, right? You're like... Dawn of the dead, man, you know? You got to, like, do something about that. You got to be willing to confront the old part of you and realize that's not truly who you are. And we have to begin to leave the old life behind and move into the new life. And one of the biggest ways that keeps us trapped is the negative emotions. You cannot go past your negative emotions. You can't. You cannot go past, if there's a bondage of fear, you will go no further. If there's a pain, you will go no further. If there's a lie, you will go no further. Not because Jesus doesn't want you to, but the devil will not let you to. If, you, if you're triggered with fear and there's a bondage or an enslavement of fear, every time you move to a place that threatens him, he'll cue the fear and you'll dance like a puppet every single time. Not once in a while, every single time he'll cue it. We have to deal, say it with me, if I don't deal, what I don't deal with, say this, what I don't deal with will deal with me. <laughs> yeah, somebody needs to Twitter that one. What you don't deal with will deal with you. If you don't deal with your anger, how many knows your anger is going to deal with you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm well acquainted with that one. But if you don't deal with your anger, your anger will deal with you. If you don't deal with your fear, your fear will deal with you. If you don't deal with your depression, your depression will deal with you, right? A lot of these emotional states are directly related to wounds and traumas that trigger these emotional states, and psychology has no clue how to deal with them. Freud himself said psychology can analyze and give the reason, but has no ability to heal. Isn't that interesting? Do you know who the only one who has the authority to heal the soul? His name is Jesus. The devils that own the rights to the wound, the devils that own the rights that are in the brokenness of the spirit, they own that, so you know. All of the sin and all of the brokenness, he claims it's disobedience in some level, but he has a right there. They do not release to psychologists, but they do release to Jesus. You will never overcome your fear by thinking happy thoughts. If your fear is entrenched within you and you are overwhelmed and find yourself in bondages of fear, there's a difference between the emotion of fear and the bondage of fear. And anybody who's experienced any of these things are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You have the emotion of fear and you have the bondage of fear, right? You have anger and you have the bondage of anger. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're not going to overcome it by thinking happy thoughts. You have to directly confront these things and you have to willfully heal them or they're not going away. They will not go. I'm a Christian. Yes, you are. Born again, son and daughter of the highest, equipped with full authority, but you don't manifest it. Nothing's going to happen. I say to you, the heirs, so long as they are children, are no different than slaves. Heirs are still like slaves because they're undeveloped, Galatians says. You're an heir. That's not debatable. You're a son and daughter. That's not debatable. You're equipped with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not debatable. That, that's not even an argument. 
But the, arg- the, the issue is, is if that's the case, then why can I not manifest the truth of this? You have to learn to appropriate what belongs to you. And that's an entirely different subject. But nonetheless, it's something that needs, you need to be aware of. Wounds and damage at the emotional level affects everything. Cultural, what affects our, what affects our emotions? Well, I'll give you three things. Cultural thinking, the world in which we're raised, right? We're trained to think like this culture. Have it your way, have it now, right? Me, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. That's our cultural world. We're raised in this environment. In America, you can see cultural thinking. You can, in Miami, you can see a lot of diversity of cultural thinking. You know, you can see the American individualism, where it's all about me. You can see other cultures that find the family and focus that, that there's, the family unit is extremely important to them. Even if their lives completely destroy and implode, they will do everything they can to try to preserve the family. You know, that's cultural thinking. There's different types of thinking. In, J- in Japan, the cultural thinking is suicide's okay. You can kill yourself. It's culturally accepted. We would be appalled at that, right? We, that would be like, what? That it's okay to kill yourself? But in Japan, the cultural mindset is, is that it's okay. It's actually an honor to kill yourself. What? That's cultural thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. That's not Jesus thinking. That's cultural thinking. So what affects the way that we think and feel is based upon cultural training. What, another thing that is, is based upon uh, what, what's acceptable. So we do cultural thing, and then we tend to gravitate. Our thinking tends to gravitate to the lowest common denominator. We love the hive mind. The hive mind. We all think the same like the Borg. We're in the Borg, right? Captain Picard joined the Borg, right? All you Star Trek fans will know what I'm talking about. Exactly. See? I knew there was a Trekkie in the audience somewhere. There was somewhere. There's going to be a Trekkie, right? But we love the hive mind. We, We love to think the same. And if anybody breaks out of the box, they shout you down. That's the culture that we live in. If you speak a voice outside of the hive mind, well then, we're gonna shout you down and you're not gonna be able to speak. And that's not right. So what affects our thinking is the acceptance level of society, cultural thinking, and gaps and pains that relate to the traumas within the soul. And so you know, I want you to say it, because you can say it, because it's easier to project it onto a third person than it is actually to look at yourself. Say it with me, all 'all 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 y'all have it. There's not one person in this room that is not wounded at the level of your soul. Not one. 100% guaranteed. And unless that's effectively dealt with in some measure, you may not have to go all in, but you have to effectively deal with that. If you do not effectively deal with that, it will deal with you. And you will see it in ways you don't want to see it. But we all have it. It's there. The church is woefully ignorant on this. I'm doing a class on this, and so some of the stuff's coming out from the class, but that's what we're doing. Um, tonight's the last night, but the, the idea was like that this, this stuff is true. Wounds and damage at the emotional level begins to affect the way that you think. I'll show it to you. Creates impulsive and compulsive behaviors. So you have wounds of rejection, abandonment, whatever, abuse, neglect, something there, unfulfilled desire from the time you're a child. The wounds carried forward are usually from childhood, almost 100%. They're wounds from childhood, 100%. And all y'all have it. Every single one of you, not one of you is born into this world unbroken. You're born broken, but you're also dropped by your caregiver 
It's the story of Mephibosheth. You know the story of Mephibosheth? One of Saul's, uh, was actually Jonathan's son. When Saul was killed, they're running out of the palace and they drop the baby. The heir to the throne was dropped and for the rest of its life was walking around lame because there was something dropped in its life from its primary caregiver. Your mother and father loved you, but your mother and father hurt you. 100% fact. You love your children. Hold the chair, but you're going to hurt them too. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. And we carry the wounds of that our whole life. And we have to heal it. Good news, it can be healed. That's the good news. But getting people to realize that is a hard one. And people all the time go, no, my dad loved me. 100% my dad. Oh, no, I had a great relationship with my mom. No, my mother never hurt you. And I'm like, well, people hurt you passively as much as they hurt you directly. I said, tell me the greatest disappointment you had with your mother. Boom, there's the tears. Tell me the time that your dad made you the angriest. Boom, there's the tears, right? They may not directly hurt you. There's passive wounds that we carry and we still can't get rid of it. And that stuff's still active and we have to deal with it. And if we don't deal with it, some of you know exactly, you're like, wow, this stuff is really dealing with me now. You know, some of you, that's what happens. The purpose of the anointing, Isaiah 61, the spirit of God is upon me. Jesus proclaimed this in the book of Luke. The anointing, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is given to me to bring people to salvation. It's the first thing he said, preach the gospel to the poor. What's the second thing he said? To bind up the brokenhearted. This is a progression of the development of the Christian. You want to go into a transformed life? You have to follow this path. You must come to Christ. You must deal with the wounds and the issues within the broken heart, within the broken soul. The mind, will, and emotions. Your problems are not spiritual, they're emotional. And those negative and damaged emotions affect the way that you think. You have abuse, abandonment, neglect, some form of that. You get in an environment, abuse, abandonment, neglect's triggered. All of a sudden, you're running away, hiding from people. You start thinking, nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Well, did anybody tell you they didn't like you? No, but I just think everybody doesn't like me, right? And so you get, feel rejected, you feel kicked out, you don't feel like you're accepted in the group. For some reason, this is just one of them. And then you go home and isolate yourself, get yourself a tub of haagen or a fifth of Jack Daniels, right? Compulsive behavior based upon an emotional wound that translates itself through negative thinking. The wound creates the thinking, and the thinking creates the compulsion or the impulsive behavior. Anger's another one, boom. Hair trigger tempers. Can I get a witness? Anybody been around a hair trigger temper? You're like walking on eggshells around these people, you know? Waiting to say something wrong, cross that person's path, and they're going to snap. And they're going to explode. What is that anger related to? Something with value and worth. Some form of a defensive mechanism. Hiding and guarding the wounds within their soul and keeping people at bay because they will not and refuse to allow another person to hurt them. And so they will hurt the other before they allow themselves to be hurt. So what's going on, right? It creates a compulsive behavior, an impulsive behavior. So what happens? The wounds affect the thinking and affect the, and affect the behavior. This is where we're dysfunctional. And, and here, here I, I have to say this. No amount of scripture reading will change that. No amount of prayer group will change that. No amount of accountability will change that. How do you know? Because I've tried. I've tried. It doesn't work. Why do we see these guys go down wholesale? Our leaders go down wholesale. 
wholesale. Why do our leaders fall? Because the enemy picks them off one by one at his leisure. At his leisure. Because they don't know how to deal with the things that are with. These are leaders. These, you know, I mean, as I always tell people, I said, you don't think that guy read his Bible? You don't think that guy, that guy could quote verses like a machine gun? You don't think he knew scripture? You don't think he knew right from wrong? He knew right from wrong. Why did he cross the line? Because he has a compulsive reaction to something. He has some wound, some transformation that says he gets his value and worth from this. And then when that, he put in that circumstance or that situation, that scenario, it's manipulated from the, soul, from the level of the soul. Church is so freaked out about, oh, it's soulish. We don't want anything soulish. The problem's in the soul. David said he restores my soul. What does the binding of the brokenhearted look like? What exactly? Does anybody want to say that? Is it just Jesus making me feel better? No, it's binding together the broken and the shattered lives and hearts of people at the level of the soul. What is the restoration of the soul? All of the things that manipulate you and control you at a level that you're not consciously agreeing with. You have things that control your life, and you're consciously like, I'm not, but there's things that are currents and rivers that are doing all this stuff with you. Maybe not all the time, but in certain situations, that happens. You know, I'm just telling you like it is. This is the power of transformation. I tell people all the, all the time, you will not go past this. Not because God doesn't want you to, but because the devil won't let you. He's not going to let you. You have all the authority in the world. You have all the power in the world, but until you understand how to appropriate that power and overcome that situation, the heir will be a slave, though they are masters of all. It's just the way it is. I've dealt with this my whole life, right? So I just want to share that with you because this is the obstacles. We can talk about all these wonderful things, but we also have to talk about the elephant in the room. This is the elephant in the room, right? It's true. This is what the church doesn't want to talk about because leaders themselves don't know how to cope with this stuff. I went to every leader. They didn't even know what to do. They're like, you need to read your Bible. You got fear, brother? You just walk around, you quote these 15 verses five times a day, you'll be better. You'll be better. Well, I did that. Look, you can do a lot through, through self-management. I'm all in on self-management. However, self, say it with me. Self-management is not sustainable. You cannot sustain that over the long term. You'll have days where you win and you'll have cataclysmic losses. It's like holding up a bar. I can do this. I can do this. You might go for a week holding up that weight, but eventually that weight's coming down on you. What if you got rid of the weight? That's the answer. Soul damage must be healed through a process. All y'all got it. Creates impulsive, compulsive, and reactive behavior and denial and emotional responses. There's extremes. Here we go. Extremes. Aren't we a beautiful group of people? Jesus loves us. This is what fascinates me sometimes when I look at the human condition, you know, and I look at like how broken we are. I'm like, and you love us, right? We murder each other, Lord. We kill each other without even a thought, right? We're, we're a basket case emotionally. We're self-seeking. We're arrogant. We're self-willed. We're bound. We don't, we, and you care for us? I was telling my wife, I just was praying. I was talking to the Lord, and just, it just dawned on just It was overwhelming to me how patient he is. He is in, I do not possess an inkling of the patience that he has with me. 
He is willing to work with me and walk me through willingly and lovingly any and all areas of dysfunction in my life. And he knows everything about me. He knows everything about me. But it doesn't matter to him until it matters to me. He can show me the ugly, but if I don't want to look at the ugly, then the ugly's just going to stay there. He's not going to help you with anything you're not willing to deal with. You have to be willing to deal with it. And what you don't deal with, we'll deal with you. Just start the clock. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's extremes. We have emotional extremes. We have the emotional gushers, and we have the emotional stuffers, right? The gushers, when things happen emotionally, you know because you are immediately drowning in a sea of emotion. The emotions are tidal wave, and you're just, where am I? I'm under a gusher of emotion. The stuffers, on the other hand, any, uh, we, you all got the garbage cans that have the lid on it, right? Because in Miami-Dade, they have that. The stuffers are the person who just keeps shoving garbage into that can until it can't be shoved anymore. And the lid no longer closes. And when you walk by that garbage can, you're like, whoa, all that's in there? Yeah, all that's in there. The stuff that's being stuffed eventually is going to find its way out, right? And so we have emotional stuffers and we have emotional gushers. These are the extremes. And what's crazy is if you look at the church, which that's something I do often because I'm trying to do what Jesus wants. The only thing Jesus is doing is building his church. And so if Jesus, hey, come on. So if he's building his church, it, it, we, we should pay attention. Or at least we should at least look, look at it and say, is this what you want, Lord? Is this the way you want it? What's going, you know, we should look at it. We have denominations that are founded both on, pre, on gushers and stuffers. Uh, we have churches. It's all about the truth of the word of God. There's no emotion. Everything in here is decent and in order. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. No emotion, not now, not ever. Bless God. Decency and order is the name of the game. Shh. Shh, shh, shh. It's the house of God. Shh, shh. It's how, that's, you know, holy silence. Gregorian chants they would bring back if it was relative. Um, you know, everything's structured like that. Then we have the other extreme where everything's an emotional experience. And if there's no emotional experience or outbursts of some kind of crazy chaotic thing, then that's not right either. They measure the success of the church based upon the structure and the order or the emotional encounters that they're having. Neither one is true. The church is measured by the degree of presence that we allow to take place within our services. In God's presence, yes, is structure, but God's presence is also emotion. And so there's this combination of these two things that have to take place, right? Well, I'm not saying we're perfect, but we do what we try to do it here. I try to give you something structured and get a little emotion out of you, you know, right? So it's both. It's not sacrificing the presence for the sake of truth. And it's not sacrificing the presence for the sake of emotion. We worship him in spirit and what? Truth is a byproduct of presence. Truth and revelation is a byproduct of presence. Bible says this. Uh, uh, oh, I just had this verse and it just completely flew away from me. The Bible says this. What does the Bible say, Kevin? What does it say? I don't know. I just completely lost it. But I will say this. That emotion empowers a byproduct of the presence. We're not seeking emotion and power. We're seeking the Lord. 
And as we seek him and as we yearn unto him, emotion and power comes to us. As we yearn for him and we seek him, truth and revelation comes to us. So we're not seeking truth and revelation at the expense of his presence. We're not seeking emotion and power. at the, We're seeking Jesus. And as we begin to long and encounter for him, all of these things come. All of these things are there. Those who can manage their emotions constructively, you will have a tremendous advantage in this world, particularly in a culture that is degraded at the level of self-control. Now, you have to heal it, but until you heal it, you at least got to contain it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me? Right? What, what needs to be healed at least needs to be contained. You at least got to put a bandage on it. You at least got to, like, care for the wound. You acknowledge the wound, but take care of the wound. Right? At least manage it. Like an open city with no defenses, so is a person with no check upon their emotions. Let me read that again. Like an open city that is completely defenseless, so is a person that has no check upon their emotions. Proverbs 25, 28. You are exposed to so many things when there's no guard upon your emotions and everything's just, you know, out there. Be self-controlled and alert for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. So what's the command? Be self-controlled. Be alert. Be aware, right? Be aware. Be aware of what's happening to you. Be aware of what's happening in you. Deal with that stuff. Be self-controlled. Say it with me. Just because I can say it doesn't mean I should say it. Let's go further. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Yeah, exactly. We have to be controlled because the devil crawls around. The Antitokos, the one who was accusing us, is seeking to devour. This word, word devour is to swallow you whole. His desire is to utterly consume you and destroy you. He can't keep you from going to heaven, but he most certainly can decimate your life in this world. I'm a Christian. Exercise your authority. Take your rightful place and dominion. Know what you are, know who you are, and know who he is, and then also know who this devil is. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the devil or his devices. Devil's not, do it's all about Jesus. It's not, you know, listen, it, it, the Bible's telling us to not be ignorant of him or the way he works. There's a reason for that. Not everything that happens in your life is God's will. Not everything that happens in your life is God's intent. The enemy ravages you because he can he doesn't do anything randomly. Let's just reinforce this. The devil can do nothing but by right. He cannot do anything unless he has a right to do it. He's not just randomly walking around doing something. He's looking for the one he can devour. What legal right? Antitokos, the one who brings accusation at law. That's what it means, an accuser. He's legally accusing you on the basis of a lack of self-control or a basis of some area of disobedience. The devil now works in the sons of what? Disobedience, right? He looks for something in which he can bring an accusation against you in order that he could have a right against you. Jesus wouldn't do that. Peter, Satan has asked for you and desires to sift you as wheat. That's a disconcerting statement, isn't it? What Peter should have done which he didn't. Jesus said, but don't worry. You'll make it through it. And when you get through it, because I've prayed for you, 
I want you to strengthen your brothers. The, the bigger question, what Peter should have said, is what is the devil's legal right against me? What is his legal claim? If he is making an accusation against me, he must have a legal claim. Anybody want to know what Peter's was? I've said it before. Self-sufficiency. Peter's legal claim, the devil's legal claim against Peter, all will abandon you, but I will not. I have a sword. I am self-sufficient. I am capable within myself to accomplish the things that you have said. And the devil's like, did he just claim self-idolatry by claiming self-sufficiency? He's bowing at the altar of self. I claim it. And Jesus said, the devil has asked for you by right. So what's going on? This is what happens. We have to be aware that this stuff's going on. This is why obedience is important. This is why sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's important. Your life doesn't train wreck because of, any, because of random reasons. And Christians whose lives are not confronted with this are literally no threat. This is why how the enemy decimates the church. One of the ways he decimates the church is because he has legal right, and every time the church steps into its cause, they're overrun and decimated. And therefore, the church either retreats into obscurity or the Christians just scatter and no longer follow the Lord because they don't understand these things. And they don't understand what's happening and why it's happening. And they think it's God. Well, who told you that? It's complete nonsense. People die because of their foolishness and their lack of self-control. Number two, emotional well-being pleases God, right? Not walking according to the brokenness of our flesh pleases, doesn't please God, but walking according to the spirit or the holistic nature of his kingdom, that's what pleases God. If you want a verse, Romans 8, 6 through 8. So real quick, how do we overcome? Everybody say it with me. Name that emotion. What are you feeling, right? What's, go what's governing you? What's holding you? I had a guy one time, and he said to me, um, I just really feel like I'm being bound by fear. He's like, I just feel like um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm bound by fear. And I said, well, how do you know it's fear? And Because it's the emotion I feel. I said, ask the Holy Spirit. And he asked the Holy Spirit, and it was in trepidation. He didn't even know that word. He's like, what's that word mean? I said, you're afraid to take a step, right? There's an interpretation. There's an uncertainty. So he's interpreting it as fear. But it wasn't necessarily fear. He was, there was a fear to take a step. He was an, it was an, un, unsure to take the step. And so you understand that? We have to learn to name the emotions. You have to learn to name what you're dealing with. My wife has helped me a lot over the years. I'd firstly personally like to thank my wife, Sherry, for helping me develop emotionally. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for that. Again, you got to score those points, man. you got to shoot that three whenever you can. She's helped me tremendously develop emotionally, right? She's helped me a lot. And then the Holy Spirit, who sounds incredibly very similar to Sherry when she speaks. It's like they're, I always say their voices are like one, right? Sherry and the Holy Spirit are like speaking as one. Name that emotion and say it with me. Tired and hungry doesn't count. Right? You have to name the emotion. If you're feeling something and you feel bound by something or something's happening to you on a recurring basis, like anger, Lord, is this anger? Yes, this is anger. Then you have to name the emotion. Psalm 55, 2, hear me, my Lord. Hear me, Lord. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. In other words, help me. What are you feeling and why are you feeling this way? What are you feeling and why are you feeling this way? So you feel like everybody's against you. Well, who, first of all, everybody say it with me. Who told me that? Did Jesus tell you that? 
If Jesus didn't tell you, then it's not true. Jesus is the only voice of truth. Your emotions are not the voice of truth. Jesus is the only voice of truth. I feel like everybody's against me. Everybody? Did Jesus tell you that? No. Okay, well then not everybody's against you. What is it that you're feeling and why are you feeling that way? And what's triggering that reaction? Just a thought. You have an issue with value and worth. I, I could name all of my life and I could go down the list of how God has changed me. And he didn't change me because I memorized more scripture. He didn't change me because I attended another Bible study. I'm all in. We should memorize scripture and we should attend Bible studies. But those are accessories to the core. The core is the Holy Spirit. He's everything. And that core, everything else becomes the accessory to that core. If you cannot confront and talk about what you're dealing with, it's already out of control. <gasps> if you can't talk about it and you are not willing to confront what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, or what the drivers might actually be, it's already out of control. Your ego will always defend what is vulnerable to you. Your ego will always defend what is vulnerable to you. And emotional pain, we would rather go to the dentist and get a root canal than deal with emotional pain. Can I get a witness? This is just the truth. And so our ego, our ego naturally defends that area of our life because it is extremely painful to us. Let me see, have the dentist poke the nerves in my gums or deal with the emotional pain? What time's that dentist appointment? You know, we go, we're, we're going, you know, it's just nuts. Say it with me. My issues may be complex, but the Lord has made me simple to fix. I would deal with the Lord, and I would talk to him, and I would ask him all these things. I said, man, these problems, Lord. Like, we are a train wreck. We are, you, really, I deal with this, so I'm, I'm aware, right? I'm not, you know, it's like we're just train wrecks. We are really, really, really broken, and when you look at what sin has really done to us, we are fractured at some very deep levels. But we don't have to stay there, right? And I would look at these things, and I would look at these things, and the way that we, we, we operate, and I would be like, wow, these problems are so complex. And Jesus is like, it's easy to fix. Anybody here car mechanics at all? Anybody at all? That work on cars, like to tinker cars? Okay, yeah, like back in the day, right? I owned a... Um, an AMC, uh, oh gosh, I can't even, man, what's going on with me? I can't remember. But I had an AMC um, old car. And, and it, the, basically, the motor in that thing, you could literally step inside where the motor well was and work on the car. It was so huge, right? And the only thing you, you, you needed to work on an old car was basically a little box of tools. You could literally tear an engine entirely apart with a socket set and a few wrenches. That's the way it was back in the day. Now we need computers and all this other stuff. You know, we're like these big boss, like old Chevy 350s. You know, we're like, these, we're like these motors. God has made these motors, and we're very powerful, and we're simple to fix. A simple box of tools can repair the most complex problems. It's an absolute fact. I deal with this almost every day. It's absolutely true. You're probably with me. All my problems? Oh, come on. No, I don't have any problems. My problem is that you keep talking about problems. That's my problem. Say it with me, my problems may be complex, but I'm easy to fix. And everybody just say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. You're easy to fix, but you got to be willing, you got to be obedient, and he can fix you. Challenge it, right? So you got to name that emotion. 
then you got to challenge it. Not every emotion is true. Elijah thought he was the only one around. He's hiding and he's in despair. And the Lord shows up and says, why are you hiding, Elijah? He's like, I'm all alone. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. And he told him, get back to work. That's what he told him. He said, get up and go anoint the king. Get up and go and do this thing over here. Anoint this guy and do these things. Get up and get back to work. And Elijah, did I tell you you're all alone? I have 7,000 other prophets just like you. So you're not alone. Who told you you were alone? Did I tell you you were alone? No. Did I tell you it was over? No. That's another story. That's a powerful story. Test me, Lord, and examine my heart and mind. See if there's anything unright with me. We have to challenge the emotion. Just because you feel it, it doesn't mean it's true. You feel like everything's going down? Who told you that? You feel like you'll never come back? Who told you that? You feel like I'll never fall in love again? You know, I mean, Diane, was that, Diane Warwick or something like that? I don't know, it's an old song, old song. Somebody with a 70s repertoire of music had to help me out on that. You know, you feel like that, you feel like that? You know, you never fall in love again? Who told you that? You feel like you can't come back? You feel like you've lost everything and there's no hope for you? Who told you that? You feel like you're alone? Who told you that? Who told you that? Everybody's abandoned me. Has Jesus abandoned you? No, has he? I'm telling everybody, say this with me. The scripture says, if all forsake me. Oh, come on. The scripture says, if all forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. It gets better. The Bible says, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will never forsake you. So that is a lie that the enemy's trying to get you to believe or reinforce within you that you're alone. Who told you that? You're never alone. Jesus said, I won't leave you orphans. The world may abandon you. And you know what? You may abandon yourself from time to time. Anybody with me? Right? I want a new life, right? I want a new everything. I just get rid of that guy and give me somebody new. But the Lord will, <laughs> the Lord will never abandon you. Not every emotion is true. So if you want to help yourself, you got to name that emotion. You have to challenge the emotion. This is one of the ways that, that, you, that you deal with it. And then here's, a, here's another one. This is going to help you. Find someone who loves you that will speak the truth to you. Find somebody who loves you that will speak the truth to you. I have a rule. If you don't love me, you don't get to say anything to me. If you've not proven love and acceptance for me, you might feel like you need to tell me something, but you're probably not the person to tell me that. It's true. We love to tell everybody everything. The Bible says speaking the truth in love, right? Well, I'm just speaking the truth in love to you, brother. Well, how do you know? How do I know you're speaking the truth in love? I don't even know you love me. I barely know you, right? And you've got some kind of correction for me or you've got some sort of observation for me. And pastors get it all the time, right? All these frustrated ministry people want to come and have done nothing with their life and produced zero. They want to come and tell me what time it is, right? I don't know you. Who are you? I don't know that you love me, right? It's love. Love is proven acceptance. Love is somebody who seeks your highest good. Love is somebody that knows 99.9% .9 about you and likes you just the way you are and loves you. Doesn't mean they agree, but they're still your friend, right? They're, they're still there for you, and they've proven that level of loyalty to you. That's the issue, speaking the truth in love. Let someone tell you. 
you know, or go and talk to somebody. If you're having this emotion, you're like, I feel like the Lord's telling me to divorce my wife. You better go talk to somebody about that. You go, sure, it's Jesus. Oh, this is Jesus. How do you know? Because the woman in the office, she confirmed it to me. You mean that new blonde chick with the, you know, whatever, that dress is really nice? Yeah, she's my confirmation. I need to divorce my wife. We, you know, we might need to talk about this a little bit, or husband that way, you know. My new boss, oh my gosh, he's the confirmation to me that I need to divorce my husband. Are you sure? Oh, absolutely. He invited me out for drinks after work, and when we were having this confirmation, I had a revelation of he and I together. I could see it. It was a vision from God, confirmed. Be slow to speak. Channel it for change. So you channel it for change. You use it for something good. That's another story. I don't have time for that. But the way you, one of the ways you overcome is say it with me. Practice the presence. Right. Getting in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we produce fruit out of his presence. We have love. We have joy. We have kindness. We have patience. We have goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All the stuff we don't have when we're not in his presence. We don't have any of this stuff in our presence. When we're in his presence, we have all this stuff. Love's like a river. You're kind, you're patient, you're self-controlled. So what we have to do is to practice the presence. You may have the issues, but one of the ways that you can overcome it is by getting in his presence, using it for good. Anybody know who Teddy Roosevelt was, one of our presidents, right? He'd get angry all the time. And you know what he used to do? He'd go out and cut wood. He had an ax. Yeah? There's pictures of him just swinging an ax on a tree. It's because he was frustrated and he was angry and he didn't know what to do with it. I actually took him up on that. I bought a rake. Seriously, I had a rake. I'd be mad. I'd be out to rake in the yard. I've upgraded. Now I have a blower. You'll see me walk around my yard. I got a blower. You're like, the rake? Forget the rake. I got the blower. You frustrated, Pastor? I am. I'm turning it into something good, man. I'm turning it into something good. If you have fear, speak faith. If you have depression, go encourage somebody. If you have anger, get stuff done. Use that anger, ladies. Tackle that thing. Use that anger, guys. Get those honeydews done. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We're just going to do a little prayer. We're going to take communion. But we want to do a little prayer. Anybody want a clean heart? Anybody want a new or right spirit? So we're going to pray. We're going to give our prideful, bitter, fearful, angry, lonely, jealous, and impatient hearts to Jesus. And he's going to renew us. Amen? So if you'd stand for me, please. And then after the prayer, we're going to end the stream, and we're going to take communion together. But let's pray. Let's just say this. Holy Spirit, I come before you, and I ask you, to create in me a clean heart. I ask you, and I give you all permission, with all honesty, to reveal to me the roots of my negative emotions, the pains that I don't want to see within my soul. I give you permission to show it to me, no matter how it hurts. You are for me. You are not against me. You do not show it to me to harm me, you show it to me to help me. I give you the power to enable me to go free from the bitterness 
and the pain of my past and to enter into the fullness of a future of hope. I repent for any and all pride that I have willfully retained within my emotions. I renounce and I repent before the throne of God, all pride of heart, all bitterness towards others, any and all fear, all jealousy, impatience, anger, loneliness, or hatred. I sever covenants with these things. I renounce all associations and any and all inheritances related to these things. And I go free this day before the court of heaven. I choose a path of freedom and I give myself permission to step out of the painful memories of a familiar past and to step into a future of hope in the unknown with Jesus. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, we love you. God loves you. So Jody's going to play. And if you just make your way up and around and grab the communion and bring it back to the seat, we'll take it together.